chat with Robbie Britton actually and he was saying well it's not about your aerobic limit it's not that physical part not like lactate threshold that's that's totally relevant it's mm. keeping running at a rate where you can keep digesting keep your GI mm-hmm. system on track so the idea was to run slowly enough so I could keep my stomach online Hello and welcome to Series 1, Episode 5 of Outlandish with me, Ed Scott. Super excited this week to bring you a chat I had with Richard McDowell, aka the Turbo Ferret. Richard lives in southwest London where this podcast was recorded and in recent years he's made a bit of a name for himself by laying down some incredibly fast times at a number of Centurion ultramarathon races including the South Downs Way 50 and 100 and the Thames Path 100 where he ran the fastest ever trail 100 miler on British soil. It's safe to say that Richard is the fastest runner I've spoken to on this podcast so far and quite possibly ever will. He's got an amazing road and cross-country background, so it was really interesting to get his perspective on the trail and ultra scene, given his previous focus on marathons, 10Ks and other quote-unquote short distances. Richard's also extremely organized and meticulous when it comes to racing, putting together spreadsheets and doing calculations on things like pacing and calorie intake. Practices that have served him really well in the past, but as anyone who's run an ultra knows, a regimented approach can only get you so far. And it was interesting to find out about Richard's experiences running ultramarathons and having to deal with the kind of deep fatigue that can take over when you're on your feet all day. You can watch an unedited video version of this episode on the Outlandish YouTube channel, though I should say it was a pretty hot day when we recorded this and the GoPro we were filming with did cut out due to overheating halfway through our chat. Did not know that was a thing. But if you watch the video, then you'll be able to see Richard's pretty enviable collection of Centurion trophies, probably the closest I'll ever get to one of those again. As usual, there is a bonus clip at the end of this episode and a quick discussion of next week's episode. But for now, Richard McDowell. Richard McDowell, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you for welcoming me into your lovely home here in southwest London. Um, How long have you lived here? Uh, Moved to Collies Wood, I think about seven years ago. Been in this place about four years Am I right, I might be wrong, in detecting a residual Scottish accent? You've got a very well-trained ear if you do, because I have basically didn't have one ever. But yes, I did live for 18 years in, in Edinburgh. Right. The first 18 years of your life? Or? Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. And yes. when did you leave? Because I was doing a bit of research slash stalking your Strava, and I noticed that some years ago you lived for a few years in India. Correct. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So when did you move there? Um... Um, five years before I moved here. Um, <laughs> so I've I've been with the same employer for um, 19 years now, I think. Right. Which I think is quite unusual in this day and age. Yeah, definitely. And I've moved, I've, I've probably spent about 11 years abroad with them. Right. So I spent a couple of years in Serbia, uh, some time in Australia, a couple of years in Brazil. Right. Uh, commuted to Italy for a while. Commuted to Italy. <laughs> yeah, I had a nice warm summer in Abu Dhabi. Wow. And then five years in India. F- 
five years. How was that as a, I mean, it's a very different culture and climate. So four years I was in Hyderabad, which okay. is sort of south central. If you to draw a line east from Mumbai and north from Bangalore, where they intersect, it's pretty much Hyderabad. Okay. Just city of about 7 million. It's pretty cosmopolitan, lots of things going on. And that was fine. And yeah. um, there were lots of people to cycle with, socialize with. There were expats if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, running. I think there were a choice of two or three Olympic swimming pools. Mm-hmm. And that was fine. And then I moved for the final year to a place in the middle of nowhere. Okay. South of Calcutta in the middle of Orissa. And it was... Is this, is this in the middle of nowhere, like, in India? Because you mentioned a city of seven million. I imagine in India that's a relatively moderate city or is that quite big by India? it's one one of the bigger ones right um it's not quite like china where you have these yeah. mega cities yeah um yeah it's quite a big sprawling city with with fairly high density population mm. in places but um Arisa was not quite so much fun it was in the middle of um lots of coal and iron ore right maybe just iron ore actually and there were lots of steel works steel was steel was why i was in india right and yeah um, I was the only, pretty much the only white face around, and I go out running. And uh, firstly, the humidity was just ridiculous. Mm, yeah. Within a couple of minutes of running, I'd have sweat dribbling off my chin. Yeah. And there'd be one inter- one interesting run. I was um, pursued by a guy on a bicycle, who I'm not quite sure what his intentions were, but I found them rather annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and regardless of how fast you are running, you generally yeah. Um, you can keep Can't on a bike. That. So four years, four years were fine. Last year it kind of took the edge off a little bit. Well, this is actually our second time meeting technically. Um, the first was, as is so often the case in my friendships, in a pub toilet in Wendover um, in the middle of January. It was just before the start of the 2022 Country to Capital. And I spotted your distinctive red shorts and had a chat with you before realizing we were surrounded by men peeing and probably wasn't the best place to chat. Um, I do remember asking you though that day if you were going to be racing or just sort of taking it easy. I don't think at the time I was like fully aware of how fast a runner I was talking to. Um, you ended up running 4.57, which was a minute off the course record in what can only be described as like semi-apocalyptic conditions. It was rainy, it was cold, it was horrendously muddy. Um, there was a constant headwind as well, wasn't there? Yeah. Well, maybe for Pretty you, much. you were going a bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what I kind of want to know is like, how, how do you get to the point where you can run a distance like that in conditions like that at 418 kilometer pace? And that's kind of my singular goal, um, with this chat. So you started running at school. Yep. Um, how quickly did you pick up on the fact that you were quite fast or is that something that emerged just with the years of training? I was never particularly good at school. Um, possibly because I didn't really do a huge amount of training and again, I wasn't particularly good at university again uh, possibly because i didn't really do much training mm. uh what sort of times were we like benchmark do you know back then that you're talking about because some people say i'm not particularly fast and they do 36 minute 10k and you're like okay well well i've no idea this was pre-gps watch right uh, i wasn't doing 10ks and things it was just cross country right so i've no idea exactly what the distances were i can't remember in my times but i was i was i was mid-pack maybe slightly further forward than the mid pack mm-hmm. but i i re- really really i honestly no idea how fast i was at all then my first again in india going back to india again uh, my first marathon uh, i thought that a reasonable uh goal time was three hours anything quicker than three hours was was going to be 
Okay, and I did 259.36. Wow. For your first, that's your first marathon? Yep. Um, I've, I've been doing a reasonable amount of cycling, reasonable amount of running, but it was, that was my first... Actually, that, that might have actually been my first pure running race mm-hmm. after, after university. And did you adopt a structured training cycle for that, or it was more just, I'll no, do a marathon, no, try just, it out? It was just ad hoc. No, yeah. I, the, the marathon was coming up, so yeah, I was building, building up some miles. Yeah. Um, but there was, there was really no structure at all. Right. Um, I think it was probably my training part at the time. He had some structure in his in his plan to get to half Ironman, and I was just doing whatever he was doing. Yeah, just, sort of residually just keeping keep uh, taking along. Right. Um, it's funny actually. I think that his train our training benefited him more than me because I think looking back, I was probably a significantly stronger runner, so oh, it right. was easy training for me. Yeah. So it wasn't really pushing me. Yeah. But it. That's not necessarily a bad thing. You push yourself too quickly and you, you it's yeah. a recipe for injury. Yeah. So uh, first, yeah, so first, first marathon, 259. And was that in, you said it was in India. So was that in really hot, humid conditions? Or? That was in Hyderabad. Yeah. Um, thing about races though, they start ridiculously early. Yeah. So that was a 5 a.m. start. Right. So it wasn't too bad, but it was net uphill. And oh, yes, right. it was getting warm. It was quite good conditions, actually. It was probably warm. Uh, there was a light rain shower at some point, um, but finished by 8 a.m. It wasn't wasn't too bad. Yeah. Um, the people taking longer would have significantly poorer. Yeah, that's the strange paradox at the heart of a lot of running, isn't it? Is that, you know, if you're out there running three hours for a marathon, there are people out there for six, five or six hours. They've actually, they go through a lot more in some sense. Oh, it's a considerably different yeah. uh, pursuit, yes. Yeah. I mean, someone like... Jim Wormsley. I don't know if you know Jim Wormsley, the American runner. I have heard the name. So he's, he's probably never run for 24 hours straight because he never has to because every race he does, he finishes much less than that. Well, I did my longest run last weekend. So Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we'll come on to that. Um, I think it's fair to say you're probably the fastest runner I've ever properly spoken to. Definitely the fastest who's ever on the, ever been on this podcast, and probably ever will. Um, so I've got some time here that I just want to read out so that our listeners can kind of get a sense of what we're dealing with. Um, so we've got the, the four classic distances. We've got the 5K, according to your Strava, 1432. Is that right? Power 10 year? rounded up to 1433. The bastards. Which I, which I was upset about. That, 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 that second makes a difference over that. <laughs> yes. I mean, to be honest, like when people say, you know, sub 20 is a great goal to aim for. So 1432 is just mad. Uh, we've got 10K, 3114. I can't quite believe That's on the, the track. Oh, that's on the track. Piece of on piss. the roads, uh, thirty-one, thirty-two, I think. And I've okay. done, I've done that race twice. The yeah. vitality is getting got identical times each. Oh, time. no way. Um, identical splits as well, or very different races. Very different splits. Yeah. Very different splits. The second time I did it, I started off much faster and a very, very painful finish. <laughs> that's I, the way to do it, I think. Mm, the ultra runners way. <laughs> mm, yeah, not so sure. Um, half marathon. One of your, your time here. I've got one hour ten and eleven seconds. Is that right? Yes, interestingly, my half marathon split at London last year was quicker than that. Oh no way! Yeah, because I've got Lon- London marathon last year, two hours twenty three ten. Is that still your marathon PB? So the official result uh, two twenty three oh six. Oh, there we go. Uh, so it's two twenty three oh eight was my, the last London. Oh gosh, we, did we miss one year or two? I can't. I think remember. we just missed the one, but it was pushed back last year. Talk yeah, because I actually saw you. Um, I live currently in Newcross Gate, so I go up, walked up to Rotherhide to watch when you came through the that bend it does around uh, around Surrey Keys and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I 
I didn't know I seen you, but then I look back at my photos and I've seen your bright yellow top and your red shorts. So yep. yeah, okay. definitely spotted you there. <laughs> so, um, so yes, I was significantly quicker. Interesting. The last London, I didn't really have any plan because after Thames Path last year, I just sort of bimbled about. Yeah. And didn't really have any, didn't follow any plan at all, but then had a pretty reasonable 5K, mm. that, that 5K in Battersea. Yeah, yeah. And then went into went into London with possibly a rather ambitious goal, um, yeah, a significant PB at the halfway, and then mm. 30k. It got quite painful, it quite does. quickly. Yeah, uh, and the the redeeming feature was to get a PB by two seconds. Oh, so if I if I'd not hit that, I would have been yeah, because yeah. I was yeah, a couple of minutes behind. Well, my next question was going to be, which of those four are you most proud of? Is it the marathon, or are you? I mean, the 1432 5K is blisteringly fast. I think if you look on the England Athletics talent thing mm-hmm. um, in terms of where they might potentially send some funding or try and get people in teams, I think that, I think my 5K is probably my best time. Right. As a sort of age-graded No, not even thing. age-graded. Not even age-graded. Oh, just right. outright. Yeah. Outright. But obviously there are a lot more people can do that time so right yeah in terms of whether that's a lot more people can do or a lot more people want to do you mean as, as you got the distance there are less people competing yes there's a lot more slower runners running 5ks than than marathons if that makes sense well, is that what you mean um what is that what do i mean um i just mean that it's it's a lot more there are a lot more people running 5ks yes uh, yeah. fast or slow Right, yeah, yeah. So it's a lot more competitive at the at the middle, shorter middle distances yeah. than it is at the pointy end of a, of a marathon. Yeah, okay, that makes sense, yeah. Fair enough. Um, those are fantastic times, but this is a trail running podcast, so we have to talk about trail running. Um, from what I understand, again, having stalked you a little bit, you, and I might have this wrong, but you started to take your first forays into trail slash ultra running, at least as far as the distance is concerned, in... 2020 the lockdown year when you ran a couple of fkts is that right correct yes so you ran the jubilee greenway which is a 60k loop in central london um in 343.30 no i haven't got that wrong that's 60k in under four hours and then uh, a few months later the capital ring which is 122 k's in about 10 hours and, and 15 minutes um you've made some great youtube videos about those i recommend people check those out they're awesome setting those times whilst filming um how are those experiences are sort of entry points to to the ultra distances yeah it's funny obviously there, there were no there were no races happening yeah and fkt seemed to be the thing that everyone was doing yeah it just seemed to be yeah the the, the capital ring sorry no the jubilee greenway that was my first distance prior, um, greater than greater than marathon mm. And predictably, it got hard after the marathon distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny that enough. I took, I set, I held that record for I think six days, or maybe it was eight days. Mm. And then Paul Martelletti went out and took six minutes for four, four or six minutes. I can't remember exactly how many minutes off me he took. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's partly because I went out very early. I had some diversions through gates, and uh, I yes. waited for the lift. At, um, <laughs> at the uh, Blackwell Tunnel, I should have used the stairs, and yeah, so it was marginal. It was marginal, but he, yeah. he had the edge. He's he's obviously much quicker than me over over the marathon. He's right. a uh, he's a proper runner. Yeah, he's a two 
fifteen guy or something round about that. So. I love how everyone has everyone talks about the people faster than them as proper runners. It's so funny. Oh, they're they're always they're always someone faster. Of course, yeah. But there's lots of people slower. So you should you know well, take that into account. Sometimes. There is that. There is yeah. that. So that was a sort of almost the gateway into longer stuff. And yeah, I made a conversation with someone. I should do the capital ring. I oh, don't be risky. So that's 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 so too far. And then, yeah. sure enough, a month later, I was out. I was out doing it. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things was that uh, after Paul Martelletti had taken the uh, Jubilee Greenway, uh, I'd, I'd done some significant Strava stalking. I noticed that he used a, um, a, a tap mm. that was totally non, wasn't on anyone's radar, <laughs> uh, just near, um, is it University of East London, I think, mm-hmm. near the city airport. Oh, right. And you spotted the tap from his Strava file? Yeah. How? Just well, by him slowing down or something. Well, he'd stopped. He'd stopped there, uh, oh, okay. and it was clear that he had stopped. And then I, yeah. uh, I think Google Street View was like, "Oh, interesting." Oh, I, and I think I, um, there might have been a photo as well or something. So, yeah. and then I went for a recce on my mountain bike. I did a full loop on my mountain bike, recorded right. the whole thing. Oh, smart. Um, that's on YouTube as well. If you want, if you're interested in doing the cap, oh, that's thing, what that was. Yeah. You can. You I wasn't could, sure if you'd like strapped some, something to your chest whilst you were running it as well or something. Uh, no, there, there are two. There yeah. are two. So there's one is just the complete loop yeah. uh, on the stem of my, my of my mountain bike, and there was also recorded the um, vlog uh, as I, as I as I went around running as well. Yeah. But it was completely unsupported, so it was looking for looking for taps here and there, and we have little marginal gains like getting a um, British Waterways key so I could use the taps along the canal. Oh, genius! And the uh, and the River Lee. Yes. Um, well, I think for a lot of our listeners who aren't road runners and don't live in that world the first time they may have heard of you certainly the first time i heard of you was when you rocked up at the south downs way 50 in 2021 that's right just <laughs> just, just look at the just checking the one here. of his yes, many trophies yes, yes that's right that's right um yes i was also there at that race actually although i have to say uh, i was hot on your heels for a good minute and then i let you go um you ran that in 602 um how was that experience um, for your first ultra race, especially compared to having done, you know, longer distances completely unsupported. So the the South Downs Way 50 was my qualifier right. for the Thames Puff. Yes. So these are both Centurion races. And to run a 100-miler with Centurion, you need to have done a 50-miler or something equivalent Yeah. Uh, as a to prove that you can do something similar. So your 122k... Uh, capital ring didn't didn't qualify. no it needs to be in a proper race right I'm not, I'm not sure exactly so things like the um endure 24 things like these relay yeah. things so that there are i think you need to do 75 miles or something one of those where you've you, where you've done a leg of a relay mm-hmm. so it doesn't necessarily need to be exactly that yeah um but yeah that it needs to be a proper race there needs to be proper timing it can't just be you mm-hmm. oh, i've got this on my strava right so things like to enter a 50 you need to run a marathon and yeah. there are some time time goals as well so the the 50 was my qualifier and it's supposed to be a month before the thames bath i thought well that's as long as i don't go too hard as long as i take it relatively easy that's yeah. it should be a good long training run and probably stand me in good stead but i knew if i didn't finish it if I was a DNF, I wouldn't be able to start the Thames yeah, Path. Right. So I, it was um, it was just a qualifier. So I just needed to get round in a sensible time. But um, then I had a dodgy hamstring, and I went um, mm. I, 
I went and um, had some physio on it and I said to the guy, look, I've got to run in, I think it was 36 hours. <laughs> so I went in there with, so, so he's a sports massager yeah. guy. The sort of you think a sports massage oh it's nice and relaxing it's not it's painful yeah <laughs> i'd seen him before when i had some plantar fasciitis on my foot and i don't cry easily he made me cry <laughs> <laughs> um anyway so i went in there with one sore hamstring um and i came out with two sore hamstrings <laughs> oh, good balanced it out a bit uh so I was like, oh, this is fantastic um but I, it, I had a bit of enforced rest a little bit of a little bit of a taper and i just felt you know when you get the taper just right you feel mm. like a coiled spring on race day yeah yeah you... uh, but always at the back of my mind it was like this is this is just a qualifier just take it easy right but of course when the race starts it's difficult to um yeah keep that under control all the time and i think i my watch did tell me i hit a 321 kilometer at one point <laughs> that was probably a, gra- a nice runnable gradual downhill still though um, 50 miles and of course, you always look at what the course records are in advance, yeah. and you kind of you well. That's a hotly contested course record as well. Being a, a Tom Evans, Tom type. Evans, he's he's a reasonable runner, isn't he? He's, he's pretty good. He's done it. He's done a few decent things. Yeah. So I was up on his course record at halfway. Right. But which then, is five forty-five or thereabouts? I think something right? something like that. Yeah. Um, forty-six, forty-four, something like that. Um, and it was starting to get. Uh, to get a bit hard. I can't remember what the weather, the weather was lovely, wasn't it? It was like 12 degrees, very yeah, it sunny. Was chilly, it was a chilly start. I, remember I actually got sunburnt um, on one, I've told this story before, but I got sunburnt on one side of my face because you're always heading with the south on your right. Yes, yes. So, yeah. um, funnily enough, I got locked in my campsite beforehand. <laughs> so I nearly didn't actually make the start. Well, presumably you were starting very, very early because they got, they asked that year, they asked the faster runners to start early, didn't they? Yes, so I did probably start closer to, I can't remember what the time window was. Like almost like 5 a.m. or something, wasn't it? It was really it was early. 5 and 7 or something. Yeah. So yeah, I did start fairly close to the start. And did it feel like, because you mentioned you were trying to treat it as a as a qualifier, Did it was it a race at any point, not with yourself, but with other people on the course? Um, or was it more like you can't tell because it's staggered start? Well, you can't tell. Yeah. You can't tell. So uh, I started, I was just running, just, just running. Um, I started with a guy, guy... Uh, Peter Windross, actually. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't know who he was at the time, but um, we started chatting and they said, oh, you're going a bit quick. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he came, did he come fourth or something that day? I can't remember. He certainly won it in the past. He's, he's Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a, a very good runner. Um, so, yeah, we I started chatting with him and I just worked my way through the field and someone said I was in the lead. I was like, oh, okay. Hmm. Um, so maybe started 20 minutes behind the first runners. But then at halfway, it was like, this is starting to feel a bit hard. I should probably be sensible. So I reined it in at halfway and walked all the uphills. Yeah. So I find um, living where I am, there isn't a superfluity of decent hills. To no, train this on. is true. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are some in Richmond Park. If I go a little bit further afield in the direction, there's uh, Crystal Palace. There are there are some hills around, but they're not particularly long. They're not particularly steep. No. And they're not right on my doorstep. Yeah. When I lived in Dorking, uh, I could run, I could get some decent vert on my way to Leatherhead. Well, not very far, the direct route, but I could go up and down Box Hill and those yeah, other yeah. ones, um, Norbury Park and places like that. Uh, but round here, yeah. So I did find I did find that the hills were 
won't say a shock to the system, but they were they what they weren't my natural. Yeah. Well, that kind of brings us to the Thames Path 100, which you were trying to qualify for. Um, again, you were in red shorts. Again, I saw you. Um, this time I was volunteering, actually, at aid station two at mile 2022, 20, which you breezed through without stopping. Um, you ran an incredible time of 13.43.42, which I believe is still the fastest ever 100-mile time on UK soil for a trail race, I believe. As far as I'm aware, yes. Um, that must have been an incredible day for you i remember seeing you finish and you looked pretty broken i was quite done by the end yeah. it's um it was certainly um sorry going, going back to the south downs way that was uh, it, because of covid it was it was delayed a week yes. so it's only three weeks between the, the 50 and the 100 that is a proper taper isn't it <laughs> um i think they call it a reverse taper don't they is that what it is <laughs> <laughs> well you go up the distance in uh, so yeah i've walked all the hills in the second half of the of the 50 and finished yeah i was quite tired but i i think that i think it was a good that was a good last run mm. and then i had a pretty good taper so i was feeling good at the start the turns mm -hmm. bath one thing i completely neglected was nutrition right i hadn't practiced fueling while i was running right and this was somewhat my undoing in the race i'd done some research about it so i'd I'd used Morton in the capital ring mm -hmm. and Morton's worked well for me. And people saying 80 grams of carbs an hour is uh, is a good, good goal. Yeah. And I got quite a detailed spreadsheet with what my planned nutrition was and what I, my energy expenditure was likely to be versus my intake. And wow. And obviously I'd be finishing a deficit. You, you can't, Unless you're going quite slow, yeah, you really can't replace the calories at the rate that you're burning them. Yeah, and when you run out of glycogen, obviously you have a significant change in pace mm -hmm. because of just because of how your body metabolizes fat versus sugar. Yeah, and the idea was to stave that off, um, but obviously I'd be I'd be running slow enough to try and digest as I go along. Yeah. I had a chat with Robbie Britton actually. Oh yeah. About sort of strategy and what my goals were and he was saying, Well, it's not about your aerobic limit. It's not that physical part not like lactate threshold. That's that's totally relevant. It's mm. keeping running at a rate where you can keep digesting, keep your GI mm -hmm. system on track. Yeah. Because with a marathon, you are you're running almost exclusively on glycogen yeah and anything you take on is just trying to just top up a little bit yeah. to hold off the inevitable switch to switch to fat burning mm -hmm. and the more you practice the more you train the more you can push that towards the last stages yeah so hitting the wall is is running at glycogen and switching to fat burning um but when you're running fast your blood is just going to your lungs and your legs it's not going to your stomach. It's yeah. also not really going to your brain. You don't think well. No. You, don't, you don't make good decisions when you're running hard. Yeah. And food can seem extremely unappetizing, you know. Well, exactly. So if so what I've found often in a marathon, I've over overhydrated, overfueled, and whenever I've stopped, I've always puked. Right. Because this has just been fluids and stuff sat in my stomach not being absorbed. Mm -hmm. Um 
as soon as the adrenaline sort of goes off, it all comes out again. It's done me absolutely zero good. Yeah. I haven't absorbed any of it. It's just been sloshing up and down, making mm. me feel uncomfortable. So the idea was to run slowly enough so I could keep my stomach online, so I could keep digesting, keep the energy going in. And are you use, is that just by perceived exertion or are you using a heart rate monitor? or How do you sort of gauge what that is for you? Just by feel, really. Yeah. I was going on pace and feel. I suppose it being a flat race, it's a lot easier to maintain kind of a consistent effort and pace. Yes, yes. And I must admit, um, I found that my heart rate strap... Um, oh, the camera's too hot. Don't worry about that. The camera's too hot. It's, it's a warm day. Oh, okay. I'll just let it cool down. Yeah. We'll switch to uh, switch to the picture of Richard now. <laughs> need, a, need a fan on it. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah, was, I found yeah. that my, my heart rate strap interfered with my... It fit my ultra vest. Right, yeah. So um, I got some... Interestingly, I've, I discovered that during the South Downs Wave 50. Oh, right. Fairly early on. Yeah. And I actually slipped it down and wore it like round... I didn't take it off because I didn't I really, really want to bother <laughs> with trying to stash it somewhere. I just yeah, slid yeah. it down and wore it sort of round my navel. Right. And interestingly, it still worked fine. It still <laughs> still picked up, but it, it was a bit annoying. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't bother with, I didn't bother with HR uh, yeah. data at all. And to try and prolong battery life on my Garmin, I'd, um, I turned off wrist, wrist based off. And that's yeah, totally yeah. inaccurate. It doesn't for, work, does it? No. Uh, especially when you've got skinny little wrists. Yeah, tell me about it. So, um, yeah, just perceived, perceived rate of, uh, of exertion. So I had a plan for 80 grams of carbs per hour mm -hmm. and also a fluid, um, target as well. So I had a mixture of gels and Morton drink, mm -hmm. and a friend had very kindly volunteered to to crew me as well. And with COVID and the the, the rules, you could have a you could have crew all the way from the start. Oh right. So I I first saw him like an hour and a half into the race or something. So I didn't. There were never any points where I needed to rely on aid stations. Yeah. And I was merrily getting 80 grams of carbs in an hour, going ticking along really nicely. I think my first marathon split was 255 or something like that, um, feeling like it was a breeze. And I was doing my mental calculations. Oh, I was going to get this done in 12 and a half hours. Mm. I was going to totally smash the UK record. And this was how, how this was unbelievably easy. Mm. And then come halfway in about six hours, can't remember exactly, but around about six hours. Uh, it started to feel hard mm. and coming through Henley, my stomach emptied. <laughs> In which direction? Oh, uh, <laughs> up. Okay, good. Up, yeah. up, no, yes. Um, In some ways that's preferable, I suppose. In, well, I suppose, I suppose if it goes out the other end, you haven't necessarily absorbed all the nutrients, but there's some chance <laughs> that it's actually gone through yeah. you. Um, should we Sorry. pause for a moment? A very loud helicopter. We'll cut away. So, so I'd got my eighty grams of carbs in, plenty of plenty of fluids until halfway, and then then a bit of an energy low to say the least mm. after I'd uh, emptied all that. And obviously, your appetite completely goes, your whole system screwed Not up. Pleasant, and, yeah. Uh, so I'd gone from running at a decent pace to a bit of a walk. I'm sorry, mm. and a quite sort of mental low as well. Thinking, all right, I've totally screwed this <laughs> up. This, that's my race plan completely out of the window. Right, or well, shall I stop? Mm. But I sort of managed to get back into a back into a sort of hobble jog, um, uh, and it wasn't the complete end to my race, fortunately. Yeah. But it was very much a positive split 
significantly more than <laughs> more than planned. And I, I was up on pace, um, my my goal plan at halfway. So I was running faster than I intended. Yeah, and I'm sure. In hindsight, I could have run probably 15 minutes quicker with a with a different plan, different strategy, and yeah. not being quite so naive about about how I was going to be doing things. But um, yeah, I'm, I can't really ha- remember how much in the way of calories I got in in the second <laughs> half, but significantly less than 80 grams. Of well, you, you've since revisited the 100 mile distance, um, which explains the third of the three Centurion trophies that you'll have seen if you were watching the video before the GoPro killed itself. Um, the South Downsway 100 was, I think, 12 days ago. It's June 23rd today, um, which you also won. Um, how's, how's recovery been from that? Well, interesting. Recovery's been pretty good. Uh, I think in the Thames Path, I went very deep. Yeah. And I think the lack of calories in the second half meant that I so probably... Do you metabolize your own muscles? I think, I think I, you can, yeah. Yeah, so I think there was... Like rhabdomyolysis or something like that, when you start to basically pee out your own muscles and well i lost 10 percent body mass in that race 10 percent. yeah i lost six kilos jesus my first pee once my once my urinary tract got online <laughs> again oh, yeah my kidneys had taken a bit of a hammering my first pee was Oof. like treacle and it was not particularly pleasant yeah so that took i yeah did i do damage to myself it, it took took a little while to bounce back yeah physically and mentally yeah. it was it was a bit of an ordeal um so yeah certain things have gone well certain things not quite so well mm. uh, my real savior in terms of bath was was an old uh, university friend the the cross-country captain uh from imperial was there oh, he was there in, he, not just in your head <laughs> you didn't have a flashback I, I don't slow think down i don't Richard. think i've ever had any hallucinations <laughs> i've heard of people but yeah, yeah he was there I, he was randomly at 19 miles to go totally unplanned oh wow and he said oh he'd um he just planned to run a bit with me mm. and he ran all, with me all the way to the end and um oh brilliant uh it was it was a good distraction actually the weather wasn't great that day and he was wearing worn out road shoes so he was slipping all over, <laughs> all over the place keeping me entertained and just keeping me yeah just um distracting me and telling me to stop walking so much and <laughs> <laughs> um uh, so he was actually my crew chief for for South Downs Way. That's a very poetic way to end your first hundred mile race with your old cross country captain. Well, I reckon he probably knocked about fifteen minutes off my time just with his encouragement. Nice. It was um, the value of a pacer is yeah cannot be understated. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was looking for looking for crew uh, and pacers for South Downs Way. I asked if he'd be willing to help, and he was. It was more than he, he, I was delighted that he was he was happy to assist mm. as he was in some ways the brains of the operation yeah so recovery's been been considerably better because i i learned a bit from 10th bath i didn't try and get 80 grams of carbs in yeah i just went by feel and actually looking back i probably got more like 30 grams of carbs per hour over the over the total distance mm-hmm. so considerably less but that I was still getting them in all the way to the end. I yes. didn't, didn't have any issues. The consistency with, with almost was more important than the the sort of volume. Yes, yes. But uh, unfortunately, the the um, important thing was training. I'd really hadn't managed to get the same volume of training in mm-hmm. over over lockdown. It was uh, it was it wasn't easier, but it was there were less pressures. Yeah. 
previously when I was commuting to Leatherhead, that was very easy. I mm. would run halfway to work in the morning, run all the way home. That was 30K in a day, easy. Yeah. I, I could I could get some hills in I wanted. I could get some speed in. I could vary it. I could go longer if I wanted. Mm. If I go particularly long, I could... Um, I could take super long routes in or back and or a shower at work. It was it was just easy. I needed to get to work. Uh wanted to get a run in. It's the most efficient way of tackling them. Working from home, slightly different. Okay, if you've got to start work, you've got to get from your bed to your to your to your desk. Yeah. If you choose to go for a run in between Every run starts and finishes at your front door. Yeah. Rather, runs didn't have a, didn't have a secondary purpose. Yeah. So, so you needed to be more self motivated, and I was very motivated for ten twelve. I was the the alarm was gradually tweaking forwards and forwards and forwards until mm. it was going off at regularly at quarter past four. Mm. I'd get a couple of times a week get a twenty mile run in before before breakfast and yeah. other things. Um. But subsequent to that, I've been commuting to France. I've been in France most weeks. That's a long run. <laughs> um, well, it's a long drive. Mm. Uh, uh, and northern France certainly aren't any hills to no. speak of. Yeah. So it's been more challenging getting getting the miles in. Yeah. Um, it's been more of a challenge staying awake on the M20 while driving <laughs> to France or home from France as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... I really wasn't as well prepared to go into the, uh, go into the South Downs way. Well, you still absolutely smashed it. I mean, it's an incredible time. Well, it was quite clear early on that I wasn't going to be hitting my rather overly ambitious goal. Mm-hmm. But it was, okay, it's a question of, okay, just manage expectations. Let's yeah. just keep on keep on moving, keep on getting the uh, the fluids and the, and the carbs in. Um yeah, my, my my crew chief was was fantastic. He was always there, but I knew that the marginal gains were probably going to be key. Yes. So I don't know if you noticed Thames Bath this year. The winner wasn't wearing a vest of any sort. Who won it? Oh, Tristan. Tristan from Trail and Error podcast. Yes, he wasn't. He was wearing a waist pack. Yep. Was it Ultra Aspire or something? Yes. The. Yeah. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because I'd, I'd actually made my own vest <laughs> for the South Downs Way 15, which I wore for Thames Bath. Right. Because I've got a quite a nice vest, um, Innovate vest, which I yeah. wore for the... So I wore that for the Capital Ring. I wore a little decathlon one for the Jubilee Greenway, mm. which just held two... It was a pair of 250ml flasks. Mm-hmm. So I, I just needed a bit of, a bit of fluids for for that the obviously i needed a bit more bit more food and fluids for the capital ring but it was more vest than i wanted and mm. also got horribly chafed up in the process mm. but well let's look at what minimum kit i need don't need need to carry very much so it was a pretty slim line vest i made mm-hmm. so two two flasks in the front as you expect um it's a couple of underarm pockets for snacks and things and just the 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 pocket on the back was only just big enough to fit my minimum kit right and the actually at the end of the south downs way 50 last year the organizers were quite intrigued to see <laughs> if i did actually was actually carrying everything because mm. you couldn't tell i was even wearing a vest underneath my jacket at the start yeah 
Uh, so that served me well. It did me well in the Thames bath as well. So did you like sew this thing? Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah, I've, um, yeah, I've been I'm reasonably handy with a sewing machine. Right. So Tristan had was using a waste pack yeah. in the Thames bath. And this caused quite a lot of stir online. People say, how is he carrying all the mandatory kit? And actually, James Elson actually videoed his kit check at the end mm. just to um, shut up the naysayers. <laughs> And this started the cogs whirring. Mm. If you think if it's a warm race, you cool down by perspiring. Well, not by perspiring, you cool down by the sweat evaporating. Mm-hmm. You need skin, exposed skin, for that evaporation to occur. If you've covered up half your back and half your front, mm. that sweat can't evaporate. By using a waist pack and not wearing a, a, a vest, yeah. you can dramatically increase your cooling. So I sewed a big pocket into the back of a pair of shorts. I saw, yeah. So I carried all of my mandatory kits in a pocket onto my shorts. Yeah, It wasn't a waist pack. I've worn waist packs in the past and I found that to stop them bouncing and being annoying, you need to have them quite tight on the waist and yeah. that sort of makes you feel uncomfortable and feel sick and things. So I thought, well, if you've, if you've, I modified a pair of shorts, I in, increased the width of the waistband, made them a bit taller at the back and yeah. um, they weren't perfect. They were a little bit bouncy, but you're distributing the load across the surface of the shorts as opposed to just on, just on one spot. Yeah. And I basically wore a, not quite a string vest, but an under, um, almost like a mesh vest, um, designed to be worn as an under vest yeah so i could i could yeah i could sweat through that i could pour water over myself and that was all i think that made a bit quite a big difference mm. on on sunday it would have been made a big difference had it been had it been warmer i think because it yeah. was up to 22 maybe 23 it wasn't and it was quite a lot of sunshine at times but it wasn't yeah, it wasn't baking hot no we've had some really hot weather recently but the race sort of managed to sit in a pocket of mm, relatively mm. manageable um i also made a custom a custom race vest basically just to hold some hold bottles on the front and then almost like a sort of razorback bra on the back <laughs> uh it was basically nothing to it. it was just like a cross yeah and that wasn't a success. In theory, it was great because I was just holding some, holding some fluids. You were sort of holding it at times yep. in pictures and things. Yeah, it was too bouncy. Right. Because you need the weight on the back yeah. to stabilize it. Okay. So that wasn't a success. So at the first first cruise stop, I uh, I gave that to my gave that to Mike, uh, and actually, for all the stops in between, I didn't need to carry more than one flask. Right. Apart from the second cruise stop, I managed to miss him. So I did run dry to uh, the third, right. uh, and that was—I think that had an impact actually. Mm. Um, I had a bit of a bit of a low point. I've been running dry for a little while, but for the rest of that, uh, I was just one one flask in my hand. So he had he had ice, he had water. So every stop, it was just some ice, actually some ice down my down my shorts. Mm. That's interesting because you got some big you got some big arteries there. All your all your blood is yeah. going to your legs. So if you right. can if you can get some um, get some ice, yeah, yeah, uh, where where the where the arteries are close to the skin, no, that's, that's going to cool down. So yeah. yeah, I was jangling along with ice <laughs> ice down me uh, down my crotch. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that made quite a big difference. I'm I'm conscious for time. It's it's almost two o'clock. So um, I've just got a couple more questions I'd like to pile on with you. One of them is, you know, you've established yourself quite quickly in the sort of trail running scene and and run some amazing times. Um, often in trail running and ultra running. The competitive side of it is kind of less important for many people than the sort of adventure of it, the experience of it, um, the kind of physical and emotional challenge. How much of that factors into it for you or do you approach it with a kind of roadrunner's mindset of it's a distance, it's a course, how fast can I run it? Because you mentioned all these spreadsheets and things. I'm just curious about how that adventure side of it factors into it, if at all. Obviously, you've got to manage expectations, but most races... I like to go, obviously, the Surrey League cross country. I'm not going to be winning those. Mm-hmm. Top 10 is a very good result for me. London Marathon, I'm certainly not going to be winning that. But a lot of these trail races, I will go in, not with the expectation, but the intention to win. Yeah. And obviously, the longer you go, there aren't so many people willing to do that distance. It's not as competitive. Yeah. So sometimes it depends who turns out on the day, but I have gone in with fairly bullish expectations in terms of time. But is it is it a pure athletic pursuit for you or is it is there a touch of the adventure to it? I mean, running 100 miles is going to be a venture into the unknown at some point. It's always nice if there's some nice scenery. Yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't can't deny that it's um some bits of London Marathon, for example, aren't necessarily the most visually appealing. Yeah. Um, Particularly the bit around Rotherhithe. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say, but uh, <laughs> um, also the Thames Path, yeah. some of that bit, some of those people talk about going through Reading. Yeah. A lot of people often going through Reading in the night. Um, I went through Reading sort of mid-afternoon. It yeah. seemed fine to me. But yeah, um, um, yeah it, is, it is an adventure. Of course, it's it's a bit more in the a logistical challenge as well. If yeah. you've got a crew, some paces, you're trying to organize them, you've got to get to the start and work out how you're getting back and things. Yeah. And you're covering quite a lot of ground in the process. So it's it's more of a journey, certainly. Yeah. It's not just, okay, cycle or tube to the start and run around come home again it's, yeah it's a yeah. bit more bit more to it than that well it's only been 12 days since south down's way but i am curious what's what's next for you are you sticking with ultras for the time being are you gonna jump back down to marathons well i've just entered uh just completed my championship entry for london again so one thing i've found after 10th bath was getting back into the mindset for training mm. so i didn't have any program for london last year mm mainly because my just head wasn't in it. Mm. And it was difficult to tell exactly when I was ready physically to start training as well. I think I bounced back more quickly from the, from the south of it. Okay, I've, I've been out for a gentle 10 mile the, the other evening. Mm. Felt, yeah, obviously not on amazing form, but felt fine. Yeah. So I think I might have a slightly more focused block for London than I did last year. Mm-hmm. See what happens. I, I do think I'm probably pushing the edge of what i'm capable of i don't see myself as an exceptional runner i'm never going to be breaking 215 or anything like that could i break 220 maybe mm. if i really focused but yeah i'd like it's nice to be at the pointy end it's nice to be in the i think i was 10th or 11th or something i was the second i was the second vet 40 right last year so it's yeah it's still nice to be doing some reasonable times 
But yeah, I'm eyeing up the North Downs Way 100 for next year. Because one of the things about ultra running, I believe that in marathon running, people peak in their mid-30s to their early 40s. But ultra running, people are competitive right into their 50s. So is that something you've thought about for the next well, decade of your life? Those stats possibly are biased in terms of professionals, in terms of when right. they start their running. Right. I'm quite an old starter. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really start running properly till about five years ago. No way. Wow. So when I moved back to the UK. Yeah. So my first London was 2016. And I think my average training was 15 miles a week. Right. For that for that 18 week block. Yeah. And I ran 242 or 15 miles a week. Plus, plus quite a bit of cycle, plus a bit of cycle commuting as well. Yeah. So I haven't really been training hard for many years. Right. I think someone says it takes seven years to peak. So obviously there is the, the physical aspect of, yeah, the longer stuff does suit, does suit the, the older athletes. Mm. But I may still have a couple of years left yeah. in me for the shorter stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm still getting quicker. Yeah. So all my PBs are from from last year. Yeah. When I was 42. Yeah. So I don't think I'm fully over the hill yet. No. But, <laughs> but far from my intention to. Establish. But but Pete, Peter Windross second at yeah. South Downs Way. He's did he win it last year? He came second yeah, at North Downs Way. Um, he's he's in his 50s yeah and he's he's exceptional yeah so, absolutely uh it's no reason to say you should just i'm very curious because you know we're seeing these faster and faster times alexander sorokin a few weeks ago running like six hour 100k or something and it's like the ultra running world is starting to for a long time i feel like marathon runners have looked at ultra runners as sort of shuffling along which they have been for a long time but to see these these paces entering into these distances it's a very exciting time Yes, is it um, people thinking that he's going to be taking some of um, Kouros's... Yanis Kouros. Uh, Yanis Kouros. Well, he's taken times. a couple, right? but he's not ventured beyond 24 hours yet. And that's where Yanis Kouros really dominated was the mm. 48 to 6 day yeah. distances. It's a question whether he has an appetite for that. Yeah, I, I think Yanis Kouros averaging sort of under six minute kilometers for six days, it's just, it's a different thing, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> A friend of mine has done the Sri Chinmoy 24-hour track race. Mm-hmm. And I must admit, after reading about Darren and Finn's exploits at 24-hour, um, I'm slightly curious about that, mm-hmm. which is strange because I don't really like track racing. In terms of road, trail, cross-country track, that's definitely my yeah. least favorite discipline. Although my next race is a 1,500-meter in a vet's league on Monday. <laughs> so, um, Wow. So to to combine a twenty four hour and track that does in some way sound like mental torture. It does a bit. Uh, I might go a little bit crazy in the process, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, I could see you doing well at it if you've got the the roadrunner speed, the kind of systematic mindset, which is probably quite useful when you're racing a course that's very repetitive, and then the ultra experience could be some magic. Or it could just be a horrible, painful process. Yeah, <laughs> it could. Um, well, thank you so much for chatting to me um, and overrunning slightly. Um, I just have one more question, which is something I'm asking everyone. What's your favorite place to run? Oh, favorite place to run. Um, it's interesting because whenever I travel, I always, because I travel quite a bit for work, I always plan some routes in advance. I use the Strava heat map mm-hmm. to see where people are running. 
and I plot out, uh, I think, okay, let's give myself a few options, some flat ones, some hilly ones, whatever, program into my Garmin so I can just follow the route on my on my watch. There's no chance of getting lost. So, yeah, I've run in some lovely places. Um, the hills around Linz in Austria are, are, are nice. I've run them in winter and summer because mm-hmm. I've been out there visiting suppliers several times. Um, Richmond Park's lovely. But often it's not just the place, it's who you're running with as well. Mm. So a Sunday long run with with my running club, social run, invariably it will involve most of a lap of Richmond Park or some other bits and pieces. So that's that's certainly, mm. and it's lovely surface, it's got some hills, it's, um, it's, it's a lovely place. Um, outright favourite, I'd struggle to, struggle to say exactly where. Mm. Probably, well, R- Richmond Park's a good bet. Yes, yes, it probably wouldn't be the Thames Bath in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> bit of bit of mental yeah. imagery there, but yeah, I do I do run along the Thames Bath a lot yeah. in different directions. Um, so yeah, I'm outright favourite, not entirely sure. Fair enough, but there are a few contenders. Yeah. Well, Richmond Dow, thank you very much. You're it's welcome. Been a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Richard as much as I did. I found him to be a really compelling presence. His approach to running is quite different from my own. I was definitely drawn into the sport from the adventurous side, watching Ginger Runner videos and that amazing Barkley Marathons documentary. But in recent years, I've come to really enjoy chasing PBs and running fast, at least for me, on the roads it seems like Richard is kind of traveling in the opposite direction. He entered the sport from a performance-oriented world of carbon-plated shoes, but recently he's been exploring the sport's more adventurous side. I think there's space for all these approaches and more, and that's what's been so enjoyable about putting this podcast together, getting a small snapshot of different people's take on this amazing sport of trail running. And with that grandiose and poetic statement, I do have to announce that this episode was the final interview in this season. I wanted to keep the first season short so that I could really put the time into learning what goes into a good podcast, and it's safe to say I have learnt a lot. I'm going to take some time off to recharge my batteries, take stock, and get working on season two. There is, however, a bonus episode next week made up of clips from each episode of the season, all pertaining to a particular theme. You'll have to tune in then to find out more. I hope you've enjoyed this first series. If you have, please do give it a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you or someone you know has a great trail running story to tell, please do get in touch. You can find the podcast on Instagram at outlandish.run or drop me an email at hello at outlandish.run. Other than that, I hope you enjoy this bonus clip from my discussion with Richard. And again, don't forget to tune in next week for a bonus episode. I promise it is completely gentacular. The, other, sure. the, the track one was at the night of the... 10,000 meter PB yep. or whatever they call it. Yep. I've never quite understood what that event is. I think it's probably because I can't enter it. But it's amazing. It looks incredible, yeah. You've got recently, so many races. Uh, you got so you can, as long as you're reasonably quick. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's sub 34, I think you need to, for a guy. Right. Sub, is it maybe sub 40 for a woman. I mean, I've only just hit sub 40 last year, so I'm, I'm not quite there yet. But So, 
I think there are about eight races or something over the course of the evening, maybe more. Mm. So you're you're you have a projected time, and you're in a race with maybe twenty people, all with very similar goals. And the when I did it, they had the wave light pacing. Right. So you got these lights going around beside you on the on the track side. Oh wow. Uh, to pace you to so there was there were two different goal times. Um, so there were red lights and blue lights on the different times. So you knew exactly what pace for totally even splits yeah. to to run at. And it, it was fantastic. And then you've got the um, the proper competitive, the, the European Cup races later on, the men and the women. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'd love to check that out. I know it's, you can go and watch it. It's I? absolutely free. Uh, yeah. I recommend it's totally, uh, assuming the weather's nice. If yeah. the weather's nasty, you can, you can be in the beer tent. Because <laughs> there's, there's a tent for, for the whole length. Oh, wow. Of the, like the finishing. You've got straight. something for everyone.